Welcome to the Amy Edwards Show. I'm your host, Amy Edwards, and we are here to get better and make every day more epic than the last in the most efficient way possible through better habits and mindset shifts. I am so excited you're here, and I'm so excited about our guest today, Nick Egan. Nick is a coach for entrepreneurs and for executives, and also an author of the book Shift the Art of Transforming Limitations, and has a BA in psychology, an MA in comparative religion, and a PhD in Buddhist philosophy. Did I hit it all, Nick? <laughs> yes. <you laughs> Is did. there more? I, uh, I have read your book. Thank you for sending it to me. Yeah, thank you for And reading. I'm so excited to jump into some mindset shifts today. I appreciate that just now when we sat down, I told you that my mind has been all over the place today, and I appreciate that you said that's part of it. So let's just start there and talk about, you know, how it's normal, because you even claimed that you're not a master when you wrote a book on it, literally. <laughs> I, I'm definitely categorically not a master. I've mastered non-mastered. You, um, ma wait, whoa, you mastered non-mastery? Yeah. What is that? Well, mastery. I like that. I mean, mastery is like an endpoint. Right, so it's like I've arrived at a place. And I think most Westerners think of it as that, huh? Or even it's like I have mastered a set of tools to their endpoint. And so the way I think about mastery is not so much that. I much more am attached to like the journey or the practice. I think it almost is an acceptance of the way things are. Like if I'm Could going be to that. be a master, yeah. I'm going to accept my humanity, and I'm going to accept that there's up and downs. Yeah, and like that to me is, and being able to step into that awareness. I was a yeah. philosophy and religion major, by the way. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> we so, should do a little mini course. <laughs> Great, let's do That'd it. We'll put it on LinkedIn. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> apparently everything's happening there. It is. Um, yeah. So this really reading this was right up my alley, and I was like, I I really got into. Buddhist philosophy, some in college, but it's mm -hmm. been like 30 years, so yeah. I don't remember a whole lot, but I really liked your extensive knowledge that you share in this book. Thank I you. made a lot of notes throughout it, so I don't even know really quite where to start. But when you're talking about this book, where do you start? So usually I like to start with the ease of this. And it actually can be very easy, even though it seems very difficult. And really all it is, is just understanding our own patterns of perception and then recognizing them as patterns, just that, not as like a quote unquote reality. And then once we understand them as simply patterns, then it opens the door to the possibility to shift them in some way. Absolutely. Um, I drew, funny, I was like out of my mindset, out of my practice today and uh, really kind of all over the place and beating myself down some. And then I, I draw a card every day from this mm -hmm. one deck and I drew ease and I was mm -hmm. like, yeah, right. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so right when you said that, I was like, okay, okay. Awesome. I'm yeah. getting a lesson in exactly what you just said. Yeah, like that's today. interesting. Like one of the highest um, practices in Buddhism, at least in Tibetan Buddhism is called Dzogchen. And some people translate it as like the great perfection. And one of the masterworks um, of philosophy within that is called the treasury of great ease. Uh, and it's, it's talking about how if you actually deeply relax your mind, then thoughts arise and you don't attach to them in quite the same way and it allows them to dissipate. And so it's a little bit different than most people's approach to meditation, which is like, I'm gonna take an object of awareness and hold on to that and kind of calm my mind down. It's mm -hmm. actually a much looser approach. But it has a, a and allowing these thoughts to dissipate. Yeah, exactly. So like not being one of my teachers, one of my meditation teachers would talk about the mind as like secreting thoughts. And it's like <laughs> you don't you don't get mad at your liver for like secreting its enzymes and the mind secretes thoughts. And it's just that your attachment to them 
that creates the difficulty. We could find healthier practices to make our liver secrete the right things. <laughs> yes. Right? Or the, the more healthy things. Right, that's true as well. So yeah. it's the same concept as what can we do to secrete, well, I suppose you're going to secrete anything out of your mind. That is true. Yeah, it's just, it's not so much worrying about from this approach, it's not so much about transforming your mind to the positive. It's more about just letting whatever appears, appears and then dissipate. See, that I think is mastery. Like that is If you it could because... do that constantly, yeah, that, it, that would be mastery. <laughs> do for you sure. do it constantly? No, absolutely. I can say I do not. Um, I have teachers, I feel like. I suspect they probably do. Really? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Is that a goal of yours, like to get there? Or do, do you sort of sit with it? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that is the whole point of of spiritual practice, right? Is to be able to, number one, you have to have a deep experience of this to begin with. Like most people I think don't even know what that can feel like or what that is. But once you do have a little bit of a taste of it, then it's just a matter of deepening that practice or extending it or prolonging it. And so, you know, when I sit to meditate, that is something that I try to do, not always successfully, but I would say when I'm out walking around, that's not my everyday experience. Whereas some of my teachers who are trained, there's not really a difference between their meditative and their post-meditative state. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Which I consider the goal. Like we were talking about with yoga, yeah. like maintaining this all the time. Right. Everything that, is a exactly yoga pose. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Right. Everything is an asana. Exactly. Do you practice yoga? Tibetan yoga. Yeah. What's Tibetan yoga? So Tibetan yoga, it's interesting. One of the oldest some people think the oldest extant text that we have of yoga, of physical yoga, mm-hmm. asana-based yoga, is um, found in Tibet and came from Sanskrit. So what Tibetan yoga is, they use some of the same postures that what you would see in terms of like normal yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, but it tends to be much more dynamic. So there's a lot of movement, a lot of breath holding, a lot of the bandhas. I don't know if you know, the locks, the breath locks. Yeah, yeah. So we use a lot of the bandhas. Um, and the idea is to really get in touch with your internal energy. And it's almost considered like a preliminary to certain kinds of practices where you're generating inner heat. It's become quite um, fashionable these days. Like Wim Hof talks about Tumo, this practice of inner heat. Mm -hmm. So that's coming from the Tibetan tradition. And Tibetan yoga is kind of that preliminary for that. So that way, when you have this influx of energy, you don't get a little bit uh, mentally rocked by it because it can be quite powerful. Yeah. What mentally rocks you? (laughs) <laughs> what mentally rocks me? Yeah. What are you, like, <laughs> That's a what good are your, question. What are your um, things that, you know, get in your way sometimes? I mean, I think ultimately, that's an interesting question. What gets in my way? I'll tell you a story. Like one time I was teaching meditation and it was in this, like a school library and there's mm-hmm. like 30 or 40 people there. Um, I don't teach meditation very often, but I happened to be to this group and I did a, a brief meditation where you're just focusing on your breath very simple and afterwards this lady raised her hand and she said hey on the next longer meditation 20 or 30 minutes can we move that clock it was like one of those old-fashioned like ticking clocks (laughs) and i said yeah we can move that clock but what is it she said like it's bothering me the sound is bothering me and Mm -hmm. so my reply to her was like it's not the sound that's bothering you it's your mind that's bothering you my yeah yeah Yeah, totally it is and so that that piece of it it's it's not so much the things that mentally rock me, it's my attachment to them, right? So some days if you're, if you have, you could be mentally rocked by somebody giving you a bad look, or you can be mentally rocked by a difficult situation with your kids or yeah. mentally rocked. You could be mentally rocked on the other side, too much success, too much like feeling like elation or something like that. That's possible too. 
So any, anything can mentally rock you. <laughs> that part seems like... But you're right. I mean, yes. I was thinking about the phrase, this too shall pass yeah. the other day. Yeah. And that we use it all the time in relation to something negative, but we can use it in the positive too, because whatever high you're on, guess what? It'll pass. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh-huh. So yeah. it's kind of the same application, like, you know, whether you're on a high or whatever it is, yeah. it can mentally rock you, even though we just pay attention to the negative, it seems like. That's exactly right. Like this too shall pass is very closely connected with like interdependence or, um, impermanence in some way like yeah. everything it's impermanence like everything yeah. is here momentary and the momentariness of experience um if you lose sight of that and you assign a kind of permanence to your experience mm-hmm. like whether it's you personally like oh no i'm changing i'm getting older or i'm scared of yeah. being or whatever it is Turning 50 exactly yeah. things like that then it creates a kind of brittle mind frame and from that mm-hmm. perspective it creates more suffering than is needed and so understanding like this too shall pass or that all things are impermanent is an entry point into understanding like the illusory or almost like dreamlike quality of experience. I like that you phrased it brittle mind point. Is that what you said? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is like this brittleness and this, yeah. um, which I think of brittle, something that could shatter pretty mm-hmm. easily, but it could become thick and brittle to where we're really holding on to our stories and whatever. And like today, for instance, I was holding on to a lot of stories Mm. with regard to my ability to make money with Mm. regard to my upbringing, my just, just me and money Mm -hmm. really. And they're old stories that are in there. And I thought I was dealing with them, but a part of me was like, you're operating in a delusional state. Mm -hmm. You're not facing reality. And I was like, Okay, fine. I'll face reality. Yeah. <laughs> I'm laughing while I'm saying it because I know it's my mindset, but I got brittle about it, you know, right. and I got really attached to these stories Yeah. rather than thinking about it in an impermanent way. Right, exactly. One thing that I like to do if I get gripped by a story like that is mm-hmm. really lean into the terribleness of it. Like, oh yeah, I'm really, I'm so horrible at money. I'm like one day away from poverty and just really like make it kind of absurd, right? Oh, it's way yeah. worse than you think. And I sometimes will do that with my clients after I have a, a good connection with them. Like uh-huh. let's lean into the terror of it. And and usually what happens is that can create a little bit of space where you open it up and you're like, oh, maybe that's not all the way true. Mm-hmm. And then you can kind of flip it a little bit. I've definitely done that and done yeah. an exercise where I thought about the absolute worst. And I was like, is that true you know and applied some of those to it also and so it helps and you've got a lot of practices in this book there's a few there's one that i had never done that i made justin do and it's been like fun to play with like i like these exercises that you've built in here the one that i'm speaking of it's a little bit of a a, a turn from what we were just talking about but i'll share it since i brought it up please and um is the one where you think of your goal and then you double it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what a push, yeah. you know? Cause I, I told him like, what's, what are we imagining here? And then like, have you thought about doubling it? And what if you did? And yeah. like, what does that look like? And right. that, and your point is, which you should probably phrase, I can, you can do it better than I can. But your point was, if I recall correctly, that that stretches you so far that the goal that you're thinking about actually becomes more comfortable. Yeah, that's exactly it. And you're trying to, what you're trying to do is realize that the limitations that you're putting on your goals are actually mentally induced, right? And so that, 
this which comes is the from, same with what we were just talking about exactly. about the worst case yep exactly so it's the other <laughs> way it's going the other way it's, it's like let's way. try to make it bigger. yeah yeah so that that practice is adapted um from a pretty traditional practice where you try to visualize something like uh-huh. let's say you visualize like i don't know um my house. A, a house. I, I exactly. buy a house. You want to buy, buy a buy house. house. You visualize a house. Yeah, let's do but that. then in the traditional practice, what you do is you imagine that house getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until you imagine it, until it's like the outer realm of what would be even possible. And then you go even farther than that. Visualize the house as like as big as the universe. <laughs> and then you go the other way uh-huh. and you shrink it down to like the size of a mustard seed. And then imagine that inside of that mustard seed, there's other houses that are in there. So it's like this, it's a way of shattering your conceptual understanding of like what's possible. Totally. Yeah. In- Infinite smallness always gets me. Yeah, like exactly. I can go the big direction, but when I start going small, I'm like, that can be cut in half, and that one can be cut in half. And you know, it's like, yeah, you never reach the end. Um, that's an interesting practice. Have you used those a lot in your own goal setting? Do you have like a regular yeah. practice of those? So I try to. I definitely try to, and yeah. I find it gets me out of like incremental thinking. And sometimes with my what do you mean by the incremental so thinking? Oftentimes, like with my clients or myself, uh-huh. um, it'll be like, "Oh, you know, what do you want to achieve in the next six months or a year?" Let's mm-hmm. say, and they'll say, "Well, well I want to increase something by ten percent, or if I'm going crazy, like twenty percent more income, or something like that." And it's uh-huh. like that will create incremental means, like small, little, sure. small steps. Yeah, and you, if you're making little, small steps in terms of progress, you'll have little, small plans, and you'll do that, right? But if it if you have a huge, big thing, like let's double it and then let's double that, which is totally possible. People have done that before, right? Then you have to I mean, yeah. create your plans accordingly. And so that plan to double it is very different than the incremental plan. And that allows you to make those quantum leaps. Uh-oh, okay, now we're getting into quantum leaps. So <laughs> that was a good show I mean, back in the 90s. Basically what you say this book is about is, um, you know, just you it's not what you are, but how you are, how you think about it. And so that's what you're getting into. So when you start thinking like that, do you see direct results in your own life? Yeah, you can. It depends on do you. Yeah. I, I tend to. Okay. Yes. Not always, but sometimes. Yeah. 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 When you say the other times that you don't, what do you feel about that? That's a good question. So like, what do I feel if it doesn't, if things are not manifesting in that way? Usually what's happening is there's some kind of little bit of fear that's holding back something. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you can kind of go into that fear and then deal with it accordingly. But it's good because you don't, at least for myself and my practice, um, usually you don't think that there's fear there. You're like, yeah, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to double it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to whatever, do something big. And then you're like, oh, this isn't quite working. What's going on? Like, where is this? I have a little bit of fear happening. Where is that? What does it feel like? If I had to give it shape or like a story or a name, what is, what is that sense of it? Mm-hmm. And that allows you to work with it. Because those fears, those saboteurs, those kind of limiting beliefs, they only really work in the shadows, right? They only really work if we're telling ourselves like that's real or that's just an assumption that we're going off of. Mm-hmm. But once we kind of shine the light on them, they don't last mm-hmm. or they... They can't last for very long, I guess. <laughs> Once we just acknowledge them, and is, is that it? I think it's a bit more than that. So you have to, that's the first step is just under, seeing them for what mm-hmm. they are. Mm-hmm. And then and then you have to apply some kind of antidote to it. So it's like either, and there's lots of different antidotes. Um, 
one way is just like a counter way of thinking like, mm-hmm. Oh, for you were giving the example of like, Oh, maybe I'm not good with money. And then yeah. be like, well, let's look at that. Like I have a lot of supporting evidence to say that I am good with money or what's an example of a time when I was, I have been really good with money in the past. Like and, I literally can't think of one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if that's the case, then you go the other way. Okay. And you just lean into it and be like, I am really the worst at with money. I yeah. just like, let's big, make this as big as we possibly can. Okay. And then sit with that. And then that can kind of dissipate it a little bit too. So you can go either I mean, way. I, I I am sitting in a home. Yeah, exactly. I don't own it, but I mean, like, we're sitting on chairs. Exactly. I'm not. We're not sitting on a dirt with like right. no recording equipment. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like exactly. I mean, like you know, then you can look around. But I mean, then we get into reality and all that. Be careful with that. Get into reality. Okay. I heard you say that a couple of times. Like, well, reality is very fluid, right? Yeah. yeah I don't so, believe yeah. in it, really. Yeah. yeah like I the, mean, you want to be really cautious. So about that's that. why I'm like. Uh, yeah. I mean, I am cautious with it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, I've studied enough of like quantum, like you were saying, quantum leaping, quantum manifestation or whatever we call it. And I, I quantum particles. And sure. so I understand to a degree to as much as my monkey brain can understand this idea of non-reality or that we can't understand reality and that everything is connected. So, and then, you know, you go to pay a bill though, and then you look around and you're like, here's yeah. my bank account or, or here's my relationship or right. here's whatever X is. And mm-hmm. it can be confusing. Are you ready to uplevel your pleasure practice? I have in mind, and one of the tools that I've used is from Wands. That's W A A N D S. One of my favorite items that they have is the Cervix Wand. It is their number one best selling glass pleasure wand for vaginal and anal de armoring. That means more sensation. That means more getting in touch with your body. It's designed for cervical and G-spot stimulation, and it has helped thousands of women become more connected to themselves and their own pleasure while supporting them to heal pelvic pain through self-yoni massage. So if you are curious about getting more in touch with yourself, then I have an offer for you. You can get a discount using my code, Amy Edwards, but if you use the link in the show notes, you can get 20% off from Wands. They have so many other beautiful items to choose from with a large selection of 100% pure crystal pleasure wands. They create the most gorgeous, luxurious products that encourage you to honor your body, celebrate your sexuality, and live in pleasure which is a big part of what we're about on this show. And yes, I use one myself. So go today to wands.com, that's W-A-A-N-D-S, and use the code Amy Edwards for 10% off, or use my link in the show notes for 20% off of your purchase from Wands. Again, my favorite is the cervix wand. It is trademarked and it is amazing. Take it from me. Check it all out and the reviews on wands.com. That's W-A-A-N-D-S.com. And use my link in the show notes for 20% off. Yeah, I think there's, I think some of what you are pointing towards is a philosophical understanding 
doesn't necessarily translate as well as we would want it to. To yes. like a practical understanding. Much better well put. And so much know, better put. <laughs> and so but then the the opportunity is to really go deeper into the practical mm-hmm. and be able to apply some of those philosophies, right? So like, yeah. yes, okay, where what is so quote unquote reality when you're faced with whatever it is that's there, mm-hmm. where is there some wiggle room around my perception of it? And oftentimes that's around um like I say in the book, stories or like our emotional capacity around it, right? Big time. Yeah. So yeah. then you can play around with that. And that's at least a little bit of freedom within within that, right? It's not yeah. like you transform that bill, that unexpected bill into like a lottery ticket. Right. But you have created some wiggle room around your emotional attachment to it. Yeah. And that's actually quite big. It is quite big. Yeah. Most um, people can't do that very yeah, well. Yeah. And you know, I've been working on that. I've mm-hmm. been working on detaching. Mm-hmm ease, flow, mindset. I talk about all that on this show and I actually do the work around it. So I guess today when I was struggling a little bit, I was a little surprised because I thought, oh, here it is again. And um, I had been moving toward a space of a lot more ease. Mm -hmm. Instead, I just felt a little slapped in the face with the first of the month and some Mm -hmm. reality. And so... um, you know, if you're going to reframe it and shift your perspective about it, you can say like, oh, I get to lean into all these practices again, yeah, you know, absolutely. and I like that. But at the same time, sometime when you're in it, you can just be in it. Yeah. And it's hard to find the practice to step out. Yeah, that is true. That is true. There's mm-hmm. some, there's, I used to lead trips before COVID to Asia. So like to the Himalayas yes, and Tibet and all that. Yes, so cool. Are you going to start that up again? It was fun. Um, well, you have three That's a good question. I don't know. I have a few clients that are asking me too. So yeah. I hadn't even thought about it. It's been so long, um, but that would be fun. But every time I go with a group, small group, you know, 10, 15 people, mm-hmm. I always tell them the same thing. Like you're going to reach a point because traveling through India, Tibet, all of those areas is challenging, right? So there's going to be a point where people or things are going to annoy you. And like your job in this is to actually appreciate that annoyance as a form of like weightlifting, right? So yeah. like, it's the same thing as somebody saying, um, oh, I'm trying to be compassionate. I'm trying to be so compassionate, but all these goddamn people are around. It's like, that is the object of your compassion, right? <laughs> That's so when you life see, giving you lessons. You want to learn compassion. Exactly. You go. Exactly. Like you can't have compassion without some form of annoyance, some form of difficulty, right? Or so an object of it. So just That's like right. you, you wouldn't have it would be impossible to work through some of the lessons that you're talking about with ease or whatever without something that kind of tugs at you a mm-hmm. little bit. And so what I found is that even if you reach a level of um, practical application, you still have many, many times where the thing, whatever that annoying or difficult thing is, you get a little bit more of it. You yeah. get a little bit more, get it a little bit more. It's kind of like <laughs> the universe is working you out in some yeah. ways. Yeah. Justin has the word overcomer mm-hmm. tattooed on him. <laughs> cool. And it concerns me because I think, you know, sometimes he wonders why he has obstacles. And I thought, well, you've literally labeled yourself an overcomer. Yeah. So the universe or God, whatever, is like, oh, you enjoy lessons about overcoming. So here you go. <laughs> totally. <right? laughs> yeah, that does make a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. Are we inevitably going to face those things, do you think? Or if accepting ease, we get more lessons in ease? Or is that inherently challenging? Are we going, is it just our nature to be challenged. Yeah. I don't think it's our nature, but I do think it's the nature of our experience in this 
world. Um, in, t- in Buddhism, they talk about oh, samsara. I see what you're saying. Yeah, it's so not like, our nature, but it's our nature in this experience. It's ex- yeah, exactly. So like samsara, mm-hmm. it means like unenlightened existence. And in Tibetan, the word is korwa, which means like going, circling around and around like a dog chasing its tail. And so one of the first things that they ask you to reflect on when you're doing like a systematic practice is like the unsatisfactory nature of samsara. And so it's like, it's never going to be, it's always like a little bit kind of busted and a little bit like, yeah, it doesn't really work that well. And it, what it does is it creates that gap, um, so that you're not quite so attached to the experience of it, you know, and you're not always just seeking going on the rat race. Mm -hmm. And so then it's like, okay, I can kind of relax. Like this is samsara. Like Mm -hmm. it's not always going to go very great. It's a little bit busted. It's a little bit busted (laughs) to put it in layman's terms, (laughs) easy terms. I have so many questions. Like I want to know, you know, what you think about the universe, what you think happens when we die, what you think about time. I'm fascinated by time. Sure. Take your pick. I mean, you know, what do you want to talk about? Let's talk about time first, (laughs) you know, um, actually no first, First, let's talk about why you chose, because I know you have a reason for why you the chose tigers. the tiger. Yeah. yeah. It's in here, but I thought you could just probably It's say. one of, so I'm a huge fan of. Um, There's a tiger on the cover of the book, if, if you're not watching. Yes. Um, so two tigers, actually, but it looks like one when it's, it's flipped. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so. so tiger has a lot of meanings. I'm a big fan of art and iconography, specifically in Buddhism, but also like in the Himalayan region. And the tiger, one of the meanings it can represent a sort of fearlessness or like Mm -hmm. a grounded fearlessness, meaning you have at least some understanding of who we truly are. And so you're not so afraid by samsara and by the bustedness of it. You can actually sit with it and be with that without being taken away by a river of emotions or feelings about it. Yeah. I I don't want to be taken away by a river of emotions and feelings, but nevertheless, I am occasionally. But also that not wanting to be taken away is a form of wanting. <laughs> not wanting to be taken away by a sea of emotions is also a kind of emotion. It right? is. It's yeah, a so desire. It's, like, it's yeah. a want. Yeah. yeah so Rather than allowing it, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Saying, ah, okay, here I am being taken away by emotions. Right, and that's a good step toward actually being allowing that to be. Like sometimes I'll have people who, more on the meditative spiritual side, they have this really strong sense of like, I want to beat my, I want to defeat my ego. I want to like kill my ego and all that. And Mm -hmm. that's that's just ego tricking you into thinking that there's something to kill, right? Yeah. How do you define ego? So in that context, I mean, ego came from, we all use it sort of haphazardly. Ego came from- I feel like we do. I feel yeah, like it's tossed around all the time now. And we do. sometimes it's a little nebulous to me. It is, yeah, so. it definitely is. So like the psychological understanding of ego is like a very healthy, just a sense of self. It's you know coming from literally meaning the word I. And in a Buddhist context, ego in that case means like what we would consider like klishto mano vijnana, which means like the subtle, the consciousness that subtly grasps at itself instead of like allowing itself to release into the infinite consciousness of what it is. Mm -hmm. That's a little bit of a free form definition. I like it. (laughs) My philosophy teacher would not be happy. (laughs) Who are some of your favorite teachers or who do you learn from now? Oh, my main, I've had a a great fortune to follow around quite a few really good teachers. Um, On the Tibetan side, my main teachers are Zongsar Kiense Rinpoche. He has many, many books. So like the he has one, um, the guru drinks bourbon. He has one I not like that for title. happiness. Yeah, he's great, great. He's considered to be like an emanation of the bodhisattva of wisdom. Cool. And he's super cool. I'm like, not familiar with him at all. He's made films. He's uh-huh. like very, very amazing. Okay. Um, 
And then Anam Tupton Rinpoche, he has a couple of books. Um, the Magic of Awareness is, I think, his latest one. Yeah, I studied with him quite closely. And these days, I also study with um, Dr. Nita Chinatsang. So he does meditation and all of that, but he's also a Tibetan healer, Tibetan medicine yeah, medical doctor. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, let's back up a little bit and yeah. talk about how you got to this practice, how you got to studying all this. Yeah, that's a, it's an interesting um, journey. I usually don't talk much about like the early stages. The kind of general answer that I give to this is I started studying martial arts when I was in my teens and got involved in meditation. And then I actually studied very closely with, as soon as I was 16, I was taking a couple of meditation classes. And yeah, that's closely. amazing to me. As yeah. a mother of someone who's 17 too, like yeah. <laughs> if she was like, I'm taking meditation classes, I would be like, well, I want to come A and B, I'd just be shocked. Yeah. Were your right. parents into this or were they no, surprised? They, uh, they weren't into, I mean, they didn't <laughs> meditate at home. They weren't Buddhist. They weren't particularly religious. Um, both of them, I think, spiritual in a way, but never, it was never like a part of my daily mm -hmm. upbringing. It's just a, something that I had interest in from a very early age. Like I remember when I was like six or seven, even having like what I now look back on as almost like meditative experiences, almost kind of like hard to explain, but visionary experiences. Um, but why? That's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think some people are just more drawn to this. Yeah. You know, I mean, in Buddhism and Hindu, all the Asian religions, they talk about like reincarnation and mm -hmm. say you have some kind of like habits from past life. You believe so, that? Yeah, I do. I do believe in past lives and future lives. Does it ever end? That's a very good question. Um, in your view, does it ever begin? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if it begins, it has to have an end. Um, <laughs> in Dharma, they talk about like beginningless time. Mm -hmm. So that if you ask that question, like, okay, it's let's take reincarnation. Mm -hmm it's beginningless meaning like there's no set beginning point there are many many infinite incarnations going back infinite time but then mm -hmm. it's like well will it ever end and the answer is no from the perspective of like samsara of existence continuing but from the perspective energy of like and exactly you know all of that i mean like it can go we're all it's all infinite mm -hmm. energy and it's all like mm -hmm. connected with each other yeah. but from the perspective of my own personal experience it ends when I attain a form of enlightenment, which would be when I have that deep sense of like letting go, mm -hmm. but that you have to be really careful because a lot of Westerners misinterpret that as like nihilism and they just nihilism meaning like nothing exists. Just like I get absorbed into the void. It's blackness, all of that. And it's, it has nothing to do with that. It's actually just, um, closer to an experience of like pure awareness and everything is a, a representation or a, a wave of that. Mm -hmm. That would be a, a different way to talk about enlightenment. Hmm. So what are your feelings about time? <laughs> Great question. There's actually a Tantra. A Tantra is a, um, like an advanced meditative text in this, in this context. Okay. I know Tantra has a lot of different meanings. Tantra means actually like continuum. It basically means everything. It can. It has a lot of meanings. Yeah. It means continuum literally. Um, mm -hmm. and oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So there's a whole mm -hmm. category of texts and then there's like practices and there's Neo-Tantra that people are practicing now, oftentimes like with sex and energy and that uh -huh. sort of thing. But in the Kala Chakra Tantra, which means like the wheel of time, they talk about time and like what the nature of it is. And there's a lot there, but essentially time, if you think about like the past, that doesn't exist, right? There's no such thing as the past. We're only remembering the past. Yeah. So there's only memories of the past. And we think about the future that clearly doesn't exist either. So all you're left with is like one instantaneous moment 
that's that's right here all the time and it's only an illusion that we're like tracking the movement of time so we think of ourselves in like the modern western sense of it too from the newtonian perspective is just like i'm traveling through time mm -hmm. but one way to look at it more from a buddhist perspective would be like things are just happening around me like time is happening around me only in one instant so like there's only there like literally it was only one instant yeah mm -hmm. exactly and it's just like things are changing in moment to moment within that one instant so there really is no time from an ultimate perspective. Yeah, uh, that confuses me sometimes when I, you know, ponder time mm -hmm. and infinite outcomes and, mm -hmm. you know, other philosophies about everything existing all at once. Yeah. Um, Which is interesting. Yeah. If everything exists all at once, that's like saying, almost like saying nothing exists ever. <laughs> those are Those statements are equivalent, right? Everything exists all at once. Nothing yeah. exists ever. Those are like mirror opposites kind of leading to the same point. Mm -hmm. So I think you, we run into this notion of like, what does existence mean? And from a pers personal perspective, things don't exist in a way that is separate from everything else. So it's not, so ultimately. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, so ultimately it's not, if I attribute like existence to something aside from the interconnection of everything else, mm -hmm. I'm misattributing Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We're getting deep down the rabbit hole of I philosophy know. here. I, I, well, we are. I like, I, <clears throat> I think part of me with philosophy, you know, I enjoy thinking about these things, but then a part of me just surrenders and goes, well, I might as well just enjoy this moment because yeah. I don't, I don't really know the answers. Yeah. And am I wanting by pursuing these answers, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, or trying to figure it out. Yeah. And so a part of me just wants to enjoy and drop it and find the ease of this experience. Yeah. Whatever we want to call it. There was a long period of time, obviously I studied academically philosophy yes. and yes. specifically like Buddhist philosophy and mm -hmm. a long period of time where I was seeking out a kind of understanding or practical insight through philosophy. And it is helpful. Like, I'm not going to say it's not helpful, yeah. but from like an actual spiritual perspective, it's much more applicable to just simply sit and stay with the nature of your mind and try to deeply let go. And you find in texts like Mahamudra, it's another practice, another advanced practice of Buddhism and Dzogchen. They'll say like, look, all of that philosophy is good, but that's all applied externally. Like apply it to your mind internally. And the way that you do that is very, very simple, just actually letting go. And then you'll experience this, um, what they talk about as like the nature of mind, which is luminous. It's, you know, bright. And so it's, and it's all encompassing. But you can't have the bright without some dark and... Yeah, Isn't that that's a little bit. Or is so, that a way of us defining it for ourselves? Yeah, the bright and the dark. How do you feel about that? Well, that's good. So in Taoism, they talk a lot about that, like the dark. So yin and yang, right? Mm -hmm. So like the cycles of everything. Mm -hmm. From that perspective, even within Taoism, they'll say like the Tao, which is like the way, or we could talk about it as like universal reality, is mm -hmm. sort of beyond darkness and light. So like, yes, there is a natural kind of like, I like something, I don't like something. It's hot and it's cold, it's dark mm -hmm. and it's light. But this kind of awareness, it permeates all things. So when you talk about it, it's like, oh, that's a dark awareness. That's a light awareness. There's not really much difference. The, the combination is, or the, the root cause is awareness itself. I only almost understood that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's, um, you know. Yeah, 
It is. It yeah. is. It is. And, you know, I've tried to step into this. I did a podcast mm, about a year and a half ago with East Forest. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's a music artist. And he worked with Ram Dass before he died mm. and did those songs with Ram Dass. And um, so he has quite an interesting perspective. And mm. we talked a lot about, you know, everything being everything, everything meaning everything. Mm -hmm. The universe is everything. It's that means everything. And yeah. so, you know, labeling something when there's always, it's like, even we were talking about making something bigger or smaller, there's always an infinite smallness beyond that or an infinite bigness beyond that. So the keys on a piano don't end at the end. You yeah. Know? Yeah. There's a whole bunch of notes either direction, which blows my mind. Yeah. It's the same kind of concept. Like it's just all, it's just yeah. everything. And so when we label something bad or good, that's doesn't really matter because it's just related to however, what are the, this Your little, frame. this little piano scale that we're in right yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I don't know what, what you I'm just saying. said. Like the it blows my mind piece. It's <laughs> yeah. like so. What you're getting at, I think you're getting toward is like if you try to tally up the infinitude of the universe using like ordinary thinking, like regular thoughts, like oh, I'm just going to think about how big the universe is. <laughs> you sort of you do get that mind blown, like oh, I can't do it anymore. Like oh, that's yeah. it. That it's if you really want to experience like the infinitude of the universe, you have to go the other way, which is like, or you could blow your mind and allow it to just like sit in uh -huh. the mind blownness of it because yeah. you can't tally up infinite, right? There's always more to be tallied up, or mm -hmm. always more to think about, or always more to like think through, right? Because it's infinite, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the other way, if you go the other way and you sort of polish the mirror, right? So instead of like counting every single star, if I just have even a small mirror and I polish that mirror and I place it up in a it, it point it toward the sky it reflects all of the stars without even trying like the mirror doesn't have to count the stars to be reflecting them so what does that mean it means a state of deeply um recognizing the nature of your mind and the only way to really ultimately do that is to let go of discursive thoughts or there's energy practices that can help with that okay well, which or at the moment of death too there's another opportunity you mentioned death, like what happens to death and dying yeah. and all that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's an understanding um, in in Buddhism, but also in Hinduism and Taoism as well, that at the moment of death, a little bit, or like as your energy is coalescing, mm -hmm. your energy coalesces in this moment of like pure mind or clear light. They call it mm -hmm. clear light. Very similar to what um, near-death experience people report when there's like this tunnel of blackness and then you expand into this light divine light some people will call it god or whatever uh -huh. however you think about it but it's like infinite it's not like god on a chair right right and so that moment is actually a very unadulterated unfiltered experience of the infinite nature of the universe and if you can stay there that's a form of enlightenment right do you feel like you've reached that stage ever during meditation during your practices you that's an interesting question. Um, there are practices that will lead you to moments of that, definitely. I feel like I've had moments, just a glimpse, but then I always catch myself and go, oh, this is exciting. And then, yeah. uh, um, and then it's gone. All right. That's, that's <laughs> the equivalent to same thing in death. So like same thing in death, there's like moments of that. And then like, oh, this is, this is cool. And then boom, all of a sudden you're like on a path to reincarnation. <laughs> right so that's same exact same exact mechanism oh, actually shit. also sleeping too so sleep when you have you ever fallen asleep and um 
I'd say like maybe 20% of people that I talk to have this experience where when you're falling asleep, it feels like you're floating in kind of a darkness or a blackness, or maybe like you're in mm-hmm. a huge room like that. And if you can stay aware and not just like pass out and go to sleep, you'll get to a moment of like that clear light coming. And sometimes it startles you back awake yeah. because you can't like rest in it. So there's, yeah. there's practices around that sleep yoga actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Sleep yoga? Yeah, I What's know. that? Just exa- you stay aware as you're falling asleep. And then mm-hmm. dream yoga, I'm sure you probably heard of, is more of like trying to get lucid in the dreams. Yeah, I have not had any success with that. No, no dream no, yoga? No, none, yeah. zero. And I know people talk about it's possible. Do you do that? It's not a main practice. I have had some experiences with it, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Usually yeah. people kind of specialize in one or two different practices. What's the point of that? The point of the dream yoga, mm-hmm. so there's a couple points. One, it really trains your mind to understand that actually this waking reality is very similar to a dream, right? So it's everything is actually just a manifestation of your energy. Wow. So it loosens up your clinging to this, right? So one of the preliminary practices is you walk around day-to-day life and you say like, this is a dream. This is just a dream. This is a dream like that. And then when you go to sleep and you are dreaming, you say, this is just a dream. And all of a sudden it is. And then within that dream, you play around with the mental limits. So you like make things bigger, kind of like what I was talking to you about earlier. You make your house bigger, you make yourself tiny, you make yourself like multiple, a hundred of you, you make a thousand of you, all of these different things. And it's playing with the flexibility of mind, also creating a stability of mind. And then on the other side of it, when you wake up, as you're waking up, there's that, again, that moment of clear light, which is very similar to what you're just talking about and the moment of death. And mm-hmm. so it's all in just training to grab hold of the opportunity that the universe provides. Whoa, that is so wild. Yeah, it's interesting stuff. Our minds are so powerful. Our mind is supreme. Our mind is supreme. Yeah, there's a whole whole school of philosophy that's called mind only, Chitta Mantra. And it means like everything is consciousness. And Mm -hmm. so when it's not so much our mind, but it's just like everything is consciousness, pure consciousness like that. Mm -hmm. Wow. I'm not familiar with that, but it's, I kind of agree. (laughs) Yeah. You know who, um, Eckhart Tolle, he, I don't know if he was, I don't know if you read about it. I don't know much about his background at all, but his, much of his, the writing that I've read Mm -hmm. is coming from that perspective. Like everything is consciousness. Um, I can interact, I interact with consciousness in sort of a non-dual way. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of power within that perspective. Yeah. Um, Thanks for sharing. That's so cool. I want to talk about some more practices in your book, some more things that you cover. One of the things I really liked was um, the delineation between things that are urgent Mm -hmm. and, you know, things that are important. Yeah. And that is also in um, the art the war of art yeah which you're probably familiar mm-hmm. with Stephen Pressfield's one of my favorite books yep. and so he talks a lot about urgency versus importance yeah. and you talked about that too and I thought maybe you could elaborate on that for people yeah it's interesting I the context that I like to think about it with the people that I work with, with my clients, it's oftentimes around the people they surround themselves with. Uh-huh. And we might, even if you're not in the, like a, even if you're not an executive or an entrepreneur, we have people in our life that like flag certain things as like, this is really important. This is urgent. Like you need to be panicked by this too. And then if you maintain a sense of calm around it, they oftentimes will get more panicky and start like acting <laughs> out in certain ways. Yeah. Like you're not seeing how big of a panic this is. Right. 
And so it's really just recognizing that pattern as like a pattern and not buying into other people's panic because it rarely is beneficial, right? Yeah. And even in situations that would require panic, it's best not to be panicked, right? I think I talk yeah. about like, you know, if you're, if you're an emergency responder, they're the calmest guy in the room right. during an emergency, right? So it's not really very helpful. It becomes an added filter in how we experience things. Yeah. Um, yeah. How, how important is paying attention to your physiological response and your body um, in maintaining your mindset or shifting your mindset? Yeah, it's a, it is one of my favorite doors to go into that, but it's not the only door. So I would say anything, some people respond very well to that. I mean, you if know. you've done all this breath work too, that's, yeah. that's very much tied into yeah. calming your nervous system, yeah. vagus nerve and all these things exactly. that, that are yeah. like really popular right now. Yeah. Breath work, um, anything mm -hmm. breath is interesting because it's sort of the, um, conduit between energy and physicality what we think of as physicality right yeah. and so it's a way of and it's so it's like the most like the most simple thing yeah and so often it's like our last resort a lot of times unless we've really trained ourselves to right. go oh yeah i can just breathe exactly yeah that's a, it's a powerful tool for sure <laughs> it is and there are other people that maybe don't connect so well with that and you can do it just on reflection and so you can do it just in a mental way mm -hmm. um you know, the body influences the mind. This is the whole theory of yoga, right? Right. So, so like the asanas, the post postures that we do influence our energy, which influences the mind. Okay. Or you can go more of a meditative way where it's like, I can just meditate, which is the mind, influences the energy, which then makes the body very relaxed, mm -hmm. right? So you can go that way. Or you can just do the energy way and just focus if you're more inclined toward that, just only visualizing energy, working energy through the body. Mm -hmm. And then you affect both the, um, the physical body and the mind. So any door is good. Do you, like a lot of people um, will say to me, I can't meditate or they'll say, I go for a run. That's my meditation. And I am a little bit of, I guess, since I meditate, I'm a little bit of a purist around mm -hmm. it. Like I'm like, I try not to judge it, but because who, who am I to say? But I also think really that sitting still mm -hmm. pushes you in a, in a whole <laughs> new way. Yeah. And so there's a lot of value there. So what do you yeah. say to people when they say that? If they say I can't meditate. Or if they say I, I can't meditate or if they say I go for a run, that's my meditation. Yeah. yeah. I usually just say, yeah, me neither. I can't run. <laughs> I, can, I can meditate, but I can't run. Um, yeah, it just depends. I don't, it's usually like in a casual way. I've learned through just many years that it's not really, somebody telling me that they can't meditate is more like an admission that they haven't tried a lot of meditation. <laughs> and that's okay. And that's totally yeah. fine. So like in a casual You're kind of conversation. You're 100% right. Yeah, yeah, it's like, okay, cool. What did you, how did you, med if you really dive into that, it's like, well, I took a, I took a mindfulness class and I tried to do it for 10 minutes and my mind was scattered. And it's like, okay, well, that's, that's meditation. Mind, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Noticing that your mind is more scattered is very common. Yeah. The very first step of meditation when mm -hmm. you're doing it. Um, and so... Yeah, that's part of it. Everybody can meditate, but mm -hmm. not everybody is trying to achieve anything with meditation, right? So like at the bare minimum, most people when they're meditating are trying to achieve calm, right? And actually like traditionally, that's a very... 
that's like not even, it's a benefit, but it's like a very low level benefit. It's not something that, it's not like something that would be a lofty goal, mm-hmm. right? So some deeper like energy integration, deeper clarity of mind, and then ultimately like a spiritual understanding is the reason to meditate. And so for most people, like when they're talking about meditation, they're talking about calm, mm-hmm. getting a little bit of calm. And so like if you run and feel a little bit of calm, that's a f- probably equivalent to what you're going to experience if you sit down and meditate for like yeah. 10 minutes. But if you really want, like, if you're trying to do something spiritual or trying to get deep insight into yourself or the nature of the world, then I think meditation is the fastest way to that. Are you, uh, do you drink? I do drink, yeah. Yeah? How do you feel about that? I feel good about it. You do? <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, cool. In, yeah, it's funny, like, who, what's prohibited and what's not. In Tibetan Buddhism... There's different ways of thinking about it, but we're much more focused on like smoking as like the evil <laughs> than the drink. Like most Tibetan Buddhists that I know will drink at least here or there. Um, mm-hmm. Even like teachers, you know, like the the guru drinks bourbon. One of my How teachers. do you feel about the state change that you experience when you drink? Do you question why you like it or why you do it? No, I think I have a good sense of why. I mean, it is like a bodily relaxation to some degree, uh-huh. but is it, like, is it necessary? I would say anything that you find necessary is as dangerous as anything else that you find necessary. What about meditation? Don't you find that necessary? In the beginning, it is important to have meditation, but ultimately it's not necessary if you have a deep insight, which I'm not claiming to have, but yeah. (laughs) Okay, fine. Yeah, I won't claim you as an expert, even though you are. Definitely not. Um, that's interesting to look at it from a point of necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a movement right now that I'm noticing where, you know, it's all about what it's actually doing to us and things sure. like that. And so I've been thinking of it from that perspective. I've just been thinking a lot about sobriety because mm-hmm. I've taken up sobriety because it's mm-hmm. a little bit outside my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And so that's been a space to explore for me. Yeah. So that's why I was curious about your perspective on it. And that's not to say I'm never going to do it again. Right. Or psychedelics or whatever it is. But, um, but just, just really under, just thinking about why I want something. Yeah. Anything that creates like habitual strong clinging towards something Mm -hmm. is something to analyze and to let go of. Like one of my teachers, he talks about, he says that, you know, monks and nuns, they're supposed to like give up clinging. Right. And so they give up clinging. And so they only have like a bowl of like a begging bowl for food and all of that. Mm -hmm. And like a row, two robes and just like very sparse. Right. But he'll say things like, look, even if you're, I've met monks and nuns who are so deeply attached to their non-attachment yeah that it's way <laughs> worse it's way worse like you're better off just being like a drunk in the street than being like a monk overly attached to non-attachment because then it's very hard to remove you have like this a sort of like a sanctity complex yeah right? like a righteousness and judgment yeah, exactly right? exactly so and i don't that's not a good look yeah exactly <laughs> anybody. yeah so, just to put it in uh 2022 terms exactly it's not a good look not a good look uh-uh, that's right it's so not it's better to play around with the edges of where you find attachment and be loose enough and flexible enough of your awareness to be able to utilize anything that dances in the moment. Yeah. Not always easy to do. No, it's not. You seem very careful about not calling yourself a master and not claiming (laughs) any of this. Amy, that's super easy. 
It's not. It is not. I am 100% not even close to him. I have met actual people that are real. Oh, maybe that's it. Maybe you like have this basis of comparison where you're like, oh shit, that's, I'm living in Austin, Texas. And you know. Yeah, there, no, there are real, that's why I was talking to somebody the other day. They were like, well, why don't you teach this stuff more? And it's like, maybe there's a great desire for it, but there's so many really, really great teachers out there. Really great. I mean, just honestly, like never in the history of the world could you go online and just like find an actual enlightened teacher for you. I mean, and there's different flavors of that, right? I'm not saying you have to be Buddhist or whatever, or even from a lineage in particular, but um, you can find people that are real and that are authentic. Like I've had, I'm a a practitioner and I've had, I would say some good experiences, Mm -hmm. but not, you know, there's find a good teacher out there they're they're out there <laughs> they, they are but yeah. i and i have really enjoyed learning from you oh, that's you. for sure and reading your book what pushed you to write this book yeah that's a great question i was trying to actually the thing that allowed me to write it was to think of it not so much as a buddhist book but as just a book about personal development that has a Buddhist flavor to it. Oh, and I so like I, that. Yeah, I wrote it as a That's way of... That's so accessible. Yeah, exactly. You know? I wanted people to have access to it and mm-hmm. have access to my way of thinking around pretty some complex topics and making them accessible, not in a dumbed down way, but in like an essential way. And so that was my main medita- I mean, my main um, reason for, for writing it. No, it's definitely not dumbed down. But it's understandable. Yeah, exactly. Applicable. I don't know. Maybe that's tomato, (laughs) tomato. I'm not sure. (laughs) Definitely not. Hopefully. Um, You know, so much of it is about simply shifting how you think about things. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you say that's like a big gist of it. Mm -hmm. And um, like, how does that challenge you day to day? Do you think that you've just trained yourself? Because we can, I mean, like doing yeah. these practices and stuff, we can train ourselves. You can, uh, absolutely. I mean, if there were no, if you weren't able to train yourself, there would be no point to even talking about it, right? right? Yeah, so it's definitely trainable. And I think through my more traditional path of dharma and meditation and all of that and philosophy, you mm-hmm. learn a kind of... Um, you learn an access to fluidity in terms of shifting your story. Does it still necessitate like practice? Do you actually need to do it sometimes? Yeah, absolutely. But the main point is that if you can do that a little bit, you can do it a lot. And so what I want people to take away is not so much like, oh yeah, I can shift my story and I can, you know, be fluid in terms of my understanding of things. Like that is true. That's the beginning part of it. But then ask yourself like, what more is possible for me? Like what else am I missing out on? And I talk about in the beginning of the book, like the thing that shifted me so much when I was early like 18 and studying with a Zen master, he really literally said, like, I asked him, like, where is Nirvana? Where is enlightenment? Like, is it heaven? Is it this? And he's like, no, this is Nirvana. And he meant it every, he meant it seriously. And he experienced it. There's not a doubt in my mind. So I want people to have at least a little bit of a mental invitation to be able to think down that road. There's a lot of merit in that, even just like thinking toward that. Yeah. You have three kids. What has that taught you? <laughs> and all this practice. Oh, that is, I will tell you, I love my, I have three daughters and they're amazing. And I used to be more of like a nurture in nature kind of guy. like, oh, it's 50% nurture, 50% nature. It's like, <laughs> dude, it's 99% nature. Like they're born with personality traits and habits and all that. Mm-hmm. So if anything, if I was 
<laughs> not certain about reincarnation then i definitely or before that oh I was really not. yeah yeah definitely wow yeah that's very interesting yeah. this is like reaffirmed or affirmed sure yeah your belief in that absolutely yeah. why exactly well i think that that's an interesting like philosophically if you think about reincarnation it's helpful to not think so much about before this life and after mm -hmm. this life. And if you want to really understand it, you can just think of this life. And so if you take yourself, like take Amy from 30 years ago mm -hmm. and then take Amy now, mm -hmm. from a biological level, every single cell in your body is different. Right. Every single cell in your body, every seven years kind of recycles out. Mm -hmm. So there's no biological, there's a continuum, right? In the same way that a river is flowing continuously. Mm -hmm. One thing is leading to another, but from a, like a state perspective, even just biologically, there's no, Amy from 10 years ago is reincarnated to the Amy that I'm seeing right now. Mm -hmm. So there's a reincarnation. And then you think about your, your thoughts and your mind stream, same thing. Like they're, they're fluid, right? Even your sense of self has probably changed significantly. There is still a sense of self, but you see yourself now as 50 year old Amy has these different interests, different life experiences, all of that different. So a continuity. Yes. Like you, I can point to you, Amy, and you passed Amy, at least at a relative level, mm -hmm. there's a connection, but like from an experiential perspective, you're reincarnated in that way. And yeah. actually at a deep, deep level, we're always being reincarnated every single moment, mm -hmm. right? This is a new incarnation of me. And so that makes it, that kind of calls into question, well, what is it that continues? And what continues is these habits, these mental, what they would consider like karmic formations, like mental habits that kind of carry on from one moment to the next. And they can be changed, they can be shifted, we talk about them in the book, but they also are the thing that creates the next experience for you. So if you want to look at like what your quote unquote future life is going to be, look at what you're doing right now. Mm -hmm. Same thing in just regular life. If you want to look at what your next five years are like, Look at what you're doing exactly right now. If you want to know what your past was like, look at where you are right now. Mm -hmm. So that's a form of, that's karma, right? Yeah. Karma just means actions. So do you subscribe to this belief of living as if or living, you know, looking at where you really want to be in five years and living as that person? I do. I do. That's a big that's a big topic that's sort of, I think, unexamined in some ways from a traditional perspective. So there's a lot of practices around visualization and visualizing yourself as. You have a lot in here. Too. Yeah, mm -hmm. visualize it, right. Beginning ones are there. And at advanced yeah. levels, you're like visualizing yourself in this body of energy. You can sometimes visualize yourself as an enlightened being, all mm -hmm. of that stuff. And so even historically, what they talk about is that is a very fast way to move you toward that. And so it's, it's leaning into the power of mind to visualize and conceptualize and then create a feeling that you have a felt sense in your body. And the more you're able to do that, the easier it is you're able to experience that from the external. Because remember, the external is just a reflection of the internal. That's been huge for me, you know, and talking about on this show, like yeah. reversing this dictation of outward and inward or mm -hmm. reversing this, uh, the roles mm -hmm. where it's this bringing that rather than that dictating. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, Oh, I'm this victim of this world. The circumstances like you're, you are, the world is a reflection of literally your mindset, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So get to those fears yeah. and let yourself see them and 
then put that outward. I mean, the setback that I had today just really took me by surprise. And so it couldn't have come on a better day because, you know, um, and really, I think there were some external things, though, affecting my mindset. Mm -hmm. Like, I think I drank weird caffeine this morning Mm -hmm. and like put some things in my body that I don't usually do. Yeah. And I don't know what happened. Right. So how careful are you about what you put in your body and uh, paying attention to how that affects your mindset? Yeah, that's a good question. I probably could be more, but I am very careful about pollutants from like a pesticide and drinking water kind of perspective. Uh And so that piece and then also just being mindful of how you're eating and what you're eating, right? Mm-hmm. And then that's, I think that's important too. Um, it is all important. Everything is, like I said, there are those doors, the physical, the energetic, the spirit, the mental, okay. right? And so any door that you can access, like a change, a transformation. So sometimes it is like being very cautious, like what are you eating? What are you, what's your diet like? Um, all of that. I would say that that's not my main, my main focus tends to be around energy and the mental side energy and the meditative side for sure yeah and that that tends to be where i access more but partly because i've had more experience with that Mm -hmm. that's a good um i guess point for people to pay attention to like Mm -hmm. there's different ways that you can access this and this is just one yeah exactly essentially and being attached to just your one whether it's like the physical or the meditative or the Mm -hmm. energy it's a little bit limiting, right? So sometimes if you're really having, a, if you really can't do, well, they talk about this too. Like if you're having trouble meditating, go do some yoga, right? Yeah. Go do some yoga, then sit down. Go do a sauna and then meditate, right? Mm-hmm. If you're having trouble, um, if your body is like not right, then sit down and center yourself, breathe. You know, you can do that. Pay attention to what you're, what you're eating, things like that. So Absolutely. That's, yeah, so eat, they're all doors into helping us shape our experience. They're supports. Yeah. 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 Um, This has been amazing. And we've talked for a long time and I'm so, (laughs) yeah, it really does. I'm, I'm so grateful. And I, I wondered, you know, what, if there's anything we missed or if there's anything that really um, you really wanted to touch on today or bring up today Mm -hmm. or anything that's just even on your heart that we could talk about Mm-hmm. here at the end i think first of all i've really appreciated it we've got a chance to go deep on a quite a few subjects which was really fun <laughs> thank and you it's been really I, lo- fun. I love talking to you and all your knowledge oh so. thank you yeah. um yeah so that piece is great and if i had to get, if i had to sum up um what I'm kind of focusing on and what I want people to take away, not just from this conversation, but from their experiences in life in general. Yes, you can shift your mindset. Yes, you can do all of those things. And that's very accessible. But at a deep, deep level, we are much, much more, infinitely more than what we think that we are in terms of our limitations. And just having even some intuitive sense about that, that you are divine, that you are actually infinite divine energy is a really, really powerful thing. And if you can move toward that in any practice, whether that's yoga or Christianity or Buddhism, whatever, or even just simple meditation without any kind of tradition, that is the reason that we're here deeply. And that's my hope for myself and for all of us. Have you ever used any psychedelics? Yeah, I have. Yeah, what have you done? Um, I've done 
uh, psilocybin, mm-hmm. and that's the one I'm most familiar with, and then MDMA, and then of course cannabis. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, cannabis. Yeah, I'm from California. So it's like they <laughs> do put you it in the still water. use that? Not, not very frequently. Cannabis, what, no. What do you psilocybin f- occasionally? Yeah. What? Uh, how does your practice go when you use it? Do you set an intention, and then, mm-hmm. or what's that like for you? I used to do. <laughs> I used to go out on a. There's a cliff in northern California near where I lived. There's a cliff, and mm-hmm. then you had to hike to it. And there's a cave, and I used to take a lot, so like a five grams, three to five gram dose, yeah. like, like a heroic Hero. dose, yeah, yeah, and just be my myself in that cave. And it was like kind of a creative reset. Um, I only started. Do, I would do that like once or twice a year after I had a fair amount of of experience meditating, and so. I never have had a bad experience, even though I've done that yeah. many times. Um, and so what it what it does for me is it helps reaffirm the subjective nature of our experience, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's it helps reaffirm that piece of it and it makes things like a little bit more workable. And at least on psilocybin for me, the next day, well, not just the next day, it's there's some kind of body sensation. I really do think it's there's some medicinal aspect to it that really does stay with you for a long time, almost like a vitamin in that way. Oh, um, cool. At least in my experience. I haven't really heard it described that way, but yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, everybody has a different experience. I do think that there's a spirituality there in the sense of like a psychological spirituality, it, meaning like it can help integrate your shadow, it can help do have insight, it can help make connections, it can help mm-hmm. loosen up your clinging a little bit. Yeah. But from like a a purely meditative perspective, it's, I've never experienced it where it, that kicks you into that state. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So it's not like that's a, I wouldn't say it's necessarily like a path to enlightenment or even like recognizing the nature of mind, but from a very deep psychological and spiritual level, it is a kind of healing. Yeah. I just wondered since you were talking about we're much more infinite than we yeah. perhaps realize if those tools had helped you or just been good reminders. That, I would say of that. definitely good reminders. And I came to it in a strange way because I had already had so much background in meditation. Sure. And I think I think if you come at it from you have no experience in that and then you take that, it's kind of like an opening of the door. Mm-hmm. And then you can go. I've I've met a lot of people that it's like, oh, I came to my spiritual practice through doing this um, sure. through doing whatever one of my teachers used to always joke he would we would have retreats in northern california and he would say you old hippies you have to at least in buddhism you, have, you bow right as a sign of respect he said you at least have to give half a bow to to weed to marijuana because <laughs> that's what brought you here you know in the first place. so yeah there's there's something to that for sure yeah and i i i appreciate you making the distinction between a lot of people it leads them to their practice i feel like you know a lot of in the 60s that's mm-hmm. the way it went with timothy leary or exactly. ram Dass or whoever yeah. we're talking about but um but it's very interesting that you had a different perspective where you were already in this deep meditative practice and had an appreciation for these things and then you're able to take the psychedelics and have that reaffirmation or yeah. vitamin of it which right. is a really cool description <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's almost like if you do really serious med- like if you meditate for many hours over the course of like a few days even mm-hmm. Or weeks or however long, like more in a retreat type of setting, um, you will have experiences of clarity of mind, of bliss, of no thought. You'll have very like strange perceptual experiences. And mm-hmm. it's not anything, 
it's actually almost something to be ignored. It's, but it becomes very psychedelic in that way, like the ground moving and all the stuff that you experience. And I guess when you take, or at least when I take psilocybin, it's very similar to that. And I just am reminded like, oh yeah, this is all just projections of mind. Right. And so that, and it's like, yeah, this is that. So it's very similar in that way. Oh, that's a good reminder though, that it's all projections of mind, which is a lot of your book. <laughs> I mean, your, you brought it right back. Perfect. Yeah, yes. but it is. It <laughs> really is. is. That's yes. what this is about. The art of transforming limitations. You called it an art. Yeah, it wasn't. It's, it is an art. It, it feels like that. Well, yeah. yeah I mean, like I mean, maybe it's a science too. I don't know, but um, yeah, there's a there's a fine line, I suppose, between <laughs> science and art. Yes. Definitely. Um, But it it is an art form in that we can practice it and we can get better at it and we can um, do these these exercises. And I would encourage everybody to pick up this book. And um, I really, I I think I didn't do the exercises like right when I read them, but I've enjoyed carrying (laughs) them forward and just carrying them forward as as practices to implement during my meditations, you know, or during goal setting, or uh, there's all different ways that you can, you have this one I'm looking at right now called turn your frustration around. Mm -hmm. And how cool is that? And it's about taking your challenge and, um, well, anyway, turning it all around. I don't know. I'm just kind of (laughs) rambling right now, but, um, but it's got a lot of really good practical advice. And I know we talked a lot about, philosophy and the nature of things today. Yeah, happy But to. this is full of really good practical advice. Yeah, if you're looking for if you're looking for ways to think about different attitudes or different perspectives yeah. to really either increase your own experience of the world in some way, whatever that is, if you're feeling stuck in any kind of rut or if you just feel like, yeah, there's, I'm trying to get to the next level, whatever that is, this is a really good place to start because it's applicable to everybody. Everybody has a mind, everybody has consciousness, right? Yeah. And it's not like a how-to, it's not gonna teach you how to bake a cake, but it's gonna teach you the ways to think about you in relationship to baking itself. Right? Yeah. And that's kind of the foundation point, so. Yeah, yeah. it is. Um, well, I, I was just gonna ask you if you have like one favorite anecdote or story in this book that you wanted to share on our way out? Oh, nothing really comes to mind. No. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, well, uh, there's a ton in here and I've really, I just really enjoyed it. So thank you. Um, absolutely, Nick. And I want to say thank you so much for being here and taking the time. Cause I know we rescheduled it a few times we did, and yeah. yeah. And so, um, so thank you. Yeah. It's you been know? great. And it's so nice that we're here in Austin. I know yeah, it's, it's, it's great so to do. Nice. I don't think I've done a physical podcast in maybe like three or four years really yeah not not face to face and this is your first one back yeah i think so that's so amazing and as you're a coach for entrepreneurs and executives like what are some of the things that that someone would learn with you well i love working with both so Uh the entrepreneurs i tend to that's a little bit different path. So like executives were talking about like leadership and their, their ways of thinking around leadership and how they embody 
their leadership and really getting thoughtful and intentional about what they want to project onto the world and how they're connecting with people. So that's more on the executive side. I love side. that. I it's love fun. That. It's yeah. really fun. And how wonderful to open them up to some of those things. Yeah, exactly. And usually they want to be there, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. And then on the entrepreneur side, I love working with my entrepreneurs. Mostly they're like coach types or solopreneurs or um, service-based industries. So like consultants, things like okay. that. Recruiters sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, usually there it's about the art of the possible. Like what's possible for you and then what can we move even beyond? And so thinking big and leaning into their strengths. Um, and we do everything from... I'm a little different than just a mindset coach because I have such experience well, yeah. with <laughs> with uh, yeah. like the strategy of it. And so I actually help you with your business. Like what's the actual strategy that we're going to go after? What are the tactics? What's the accountability? And we weave in the mindset piece, yeah. which I think is a lot of people tell me that I've worked with other coaches. They're very refreshed by me kind of getting into not the weeds exactly, but the specifics of their business mm-hmm. and offering some support around that. Wow. So it's really fun. I mean, that's really well-rounded. It, it, it's, it is well-rounded. Some people, I think of it as like, it's not just coaching. It's like coach salting. Coach Consul- salting. Consulting and coaching Should together. Yeah. Trademark that word. Yeah, totally. if it's, it's probably already I'm sure done. somebody has. Somebody's yeah. thought of that, <laughs> coach salting. Right. Uh, it is. Now, how can everyone find you? Uh, easiest way, you can go on my website, NickEganPhD, N-I-C-K-E-G-A-N, and the letters PhD.com. Um, I'll have a link in the show notes too. Awesome. For everything. I'm, I'm most active on LinkedIn, so you can mm-hmm. find me there. Um, and then I'm trying to build my Instagram. I have, it's just, it's pretty new. It's kind of a placeholder. Yeah. Please connect with me on Instagram. Yes. I'm going to, my plan is to start putting out more content there too. So it's Nick underscore Egan underscore coaching underscore. Okay. Yeah, uh, so and I'll, I'll have links and I'll tag yeah, you yeah. and all that kind of stuff yeah. too. So Especially and, if you're local and awesome, please follow me on Instagram. Yes. <laughs> and this is a good kick for me to do more on LinkedIn because. Yeah. Get, we need to talk about that later. Yes. LinkedIn is great. I know. That's really great. Yeah. So um, last thing will be this inscription that you put in the book when you signed to me. And that's, it's what we think we become. Yeah. That's like, Famous quote from many people, but at Buddha said, what we think we become ultimately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's all mind. It's all mind. Yeah. And I've still got a lot of lessons in it. So I don't want same. anybody watching to think I've got it just so figured out. Good, same. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I guess I, w- I would like to end this too by saying like, if someone, just for no one to get discouraged. You know, no, there's no need to be discouraged. There's so much help and support in the universe and we're all in this together and there's so much help is just like one thought away and ultimately we're infinite. And if we forget that, there's plenty of help. Just call for help, ask for help and you'll get it. Help is one thought away. Yeah. That's powerful right there. Yeah. Because it can feel so far away sometimes. That's the time when you need it the most. Yeah. Just ask for help. That's yeah. a big, a big Ask thing. Ask for help. In fact, asking, it's funny you bring this up. I have a couple clients that are working with just simply asking for what they want. They've gone through and they're like reasonably successful, but they don't, they have this network, they have everything and they're just kind of waiting for somebody to like discover them in some way. It's like, why don't you go make a list and let's go ask people for stuff. And you'd be shocked at what can come of that. Like just asking for opportunity. It's like amazing things can happen. Really? Yeah, yeah. I mean like speaking gigs or like whatever they want, whatever like that want. kind of thing? Yes, exactly. Speaking Interesting. Gigs, yeah. yeah. What would you speak if you wanted to speak something out right now? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. I'm very, I'm on the verge of, I'm obsessed with energy and I think that people 
have a misunderstanding of energy and there's a lot of good stuff out there and mm -hmm. there's a lot of like fluffy stuff. And so I like to bring, I'm thinking about bringing some of my simplicity to just thinking about energy and what that means, whether that's energy in a atmosphere, internal energy, energy as mind, all of that. So just thinking through some of that. So who knows? That's a little vague. What does that look like in practical terms? Yeah, I don't a know. A new book. We have a, to see. A, a, like, yeah. <laughs> I mean. TBD, I don't know. I <laughs> literally don't know. It's very vague. Well, if you were to stretch it all the way, what would it be? Yeah, probably a book. Maybe some program around practice. I'm not maybe sure a series yet. of books. This could be a Maybe like a TV show <laughs> based on your books. books. <laughs> yeah, no. It will not be that. Definitely it not won't? that. No. Why? Oh, you you no, could totally do that. No desire to be on that. TV. Oh, God. <laughs> be recognized on the street? No, thank you. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. And you are on screen. So <laughs> if anybody wants to check it out, it's on YouTube or Spotify. So thank you so much. And all the links that you mentioned will be in the show notes, including a link to your book, Shift the Art of Transforming Limitations, which what we think we become. And if you want to uh, find some really good practices, I would highly recommend picking up this book. So thank you so much. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, really enjoyed thank it. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, um, you know, didn't know where this conversation was going to go because I just knew that you had such a wealth of knowledge. And so I was just excited to just talk and hear, you know, what your life is like and how you, implement these things in your own life. So thank you so much for sharing those. It's been a blast. It has it been. It has been. And you guys don't forget to connect with Nick. And thank you so much for being here. Uh, I'm eternally grateful to be sitting here in front of this microphone with epic people and learning and making our lives better, even though I don't like labeling it better, but more fulfilled. Maybe that's a better way of saying it. Oh shit. I just said better again. But anyway, Thank you for being here. Leave a rating or review. It helps grow the show. It helps us get more epic guests like Nick. And also share it with a friend if you feel called. If you thought of anybody during this, either reach out to them. That's your intuition telling you to check in on them or perhaps share it with a friend and you could probably have a really interesting conversation, especially after today's talk. And also sign up for my newsletter. It's at amyedwards.com. And I never do anything with your email address except sends you what's going on with the show. And I love you so much. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you again, Nick. Thank you. Yeah. This has been the Amy Edwards show from Overcome Studios. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe. And thank you so much for being here. Sign up for our newsletter at amyedwards.com.